13, um, but we'll come back to that in just a moment. But here is John's picture of this event, and I have entitled this point, um, The Woman, the Serpent, and Her Son, or The Woman, Her Son, and the Serpent. Some translations speak of this uh, being as a dragon. So uh, here's what chapter 12 has to say, and we'll talk about it um, after I read it. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head a, a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains, in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. On his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. So that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she uh, was, has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven. A great dragon was thrown down in the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. They have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short." When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent, serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman, to the help of the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. The woman her son, and the serpent. What a vision. What a picture that is going to unfold. A, a picture for you and a picture for me that is out into the future, but also it draws us back into the past. 
A number of people in a number of different times have looked at this vision and said, who is this woman? Or asked the question, who is this woman? Is the woman Mary? Because the son is Jesus. Is the woman there who is about to give birth and does give birth in Revelation chapter 12, Mary? Some would say, yes, it is. Others would say that this is the church. It is the true seed of Abraham, and it is also that of Israel. I would come to this realization or to this point, that the woman here that is being pictured is that of Israel. Nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere in the Old Testament, was it spoken of that Mary was one who had uh, a crown of diadems around her, that she was clothed in the sun, she was standing on the moon and the stars. But there are multiple times throughout the Old Testament and even in the New where the picture is spoken of Israel being the one who is clothed with the sun, the moon, and the stars. It's a reference all the way back to that of Abraham, to that of Jacob, of Isaac, and even that of Joseph. The wilderness scattering is a future event here in Revelation chapter 12. It will happen when the beast, and we'll get to him in just a moment, or we'll get to them, there's two of them in chapter 13. It will happen when the beast comes on the scene, and for three and a half years, in that seven-year period of tribulation, the Antichrist, one of those beasts who made a treaty with Israel and said, hey, I'll rebuild the temple, you can worship, and once the temple is rebuilt, he goes in, as we'll see next week or the week after that, um, he goes in and he just defames the whole temple because he slaughters a pig there on the altar. And he says that he is God and for them to worship him instead of God. He breaks that covenant, and when that covenant is broken, a halfway through the tribulation, as we'll look in the coming weeks, they scatter. The serpent is named here in this passage. If you look there in verse number 9, a great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Uh, he was thrown down. It's, it's been questioned, when is this account? And I know this is hard to understand on a Sunday morning and me just throwing stuff at you, but let's look at a couple of times of when this possibly occurred. The first, if you look in Isaiah chapter 14, you, I won't turn there this morning, but in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 10 through 14, you see the event of ancient past, in eternity past, when Satan was kicked out of heaven because he stated, I will be like you. And God said, and this is Brian's terms, not in my lifetime, and kicked him out. And he took with him, as this picture states in Revelation chapter 12, a third of the stars, or a third of the angels that were with him, and they were demons from that moment on. But if that was the time, what was he doing in heaven with Job? When, when Job was walking on the 
face of the earth. What was he doing back in heaven? Because he came back just as the sons of God did, all the angels did. There were uh, moments and days when he was there and God said, Hey, have you thought about my servant Job? Others look at this and say it is a future event and maybe it possibly is that there is still the opportunity for Satan to be in heaven, for him to go and accuse the brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ, you and me, those who have um, passed and are there in front of the Father. But where I come down and stand here is that when Jesus went to the cross, when he died, when He was buried, and three days later, when he rose from the dead, the work was finished. And because the work is finished, for salvation to occur, Satan has been defeated. He is a defeated foe. The serpent, Satan, seeks first to destroy the promise of the heir. If you look back in Genesis chapter 3, let me turn there and read one verse for us, actually a couple of verses for us, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, to Eve, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And key in on verse 15. I will put enmity. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. From that moment this one. From that moment until the moment that he is thrown into the very pit of hell for all eternity, Satan has sought to thwart the plan of God. The the plan of God was this, Eve, one of your seed will crush the serpent's head. If you look at the Old Testament, you, you look all the way through the Bible. From that moment forward, Satan has done his best to stop those words. The next chapter, there are two boys from Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and Cain escalates sin, sin escalates in Cain to the point that he kills his brother, trying to stop the plan of God. Another son is born, Seth, and through that lineage, there is a man by the name of Noah. And in Genesis chapter 6, what takes place? Every thought, Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, every thought of man continually is that of sin and it is escalating. Satan is trying to thwart the plan of God. The barrenness of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 12 through 17, chapter, through chapter 19. The troubles of Jacob's and his son, the Egyptians seeking to kill all the male babies. The trials of David with Saul, the decree from Jezebel and her followers to annihilate all of Israel. The deportation to Babylon and, Port, and, and Persia, the attack from Haman in the days of Esther. To, decree, to the decree of Herod, even in the days of Jesus, all were Satan's plan to thwart 
that statement in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The attempt to thwart the birth of Christ did not come to fruition. He was born, he was taken to Egypt, he was, he was there, he lived as a boy, he grew up as a man, he lived a perfect life. Even there, as he was out into the wilderness for those 40 days and the temptations that Satan had for him, it was to thwart those words that this son, the Messiah, will crush your head, Satan. Satan now has focused his attack on the church. He couldn't stomp out Christ before he was born. He couldn't stop his ministry. He couldn't keep him in the grave. Now he seeks to stop the name from advancing and he will intensify his attack when God allows in this period of seven years. But Satan is a defeated foe. As a young boy, I went out to... Uh, Keller, Texas one summer and all my cousins were out there. We were out there for a couple of weeks and, and my family, my uh, aunt and uncle, they lived in uh, Keller, Texas when it was just a small town and uh, they had a number of acres and on their, their uh, farm there, their house there was a creek and they had built, built it out to be a huge pond full of fish, full of turtles. We shot BB guns at them. I hated those turtles. But anyway, um, we're not talking about turtles today. There were also water moccasins. And uh, they were big. Everything in Texas is bigger, isn't it? So one day, we were outside playing and we ran in for lunch. And as we were going in the patio, the back door there, I saw something slither under some tires. Went and got my uncle. We moved the tires, and there it was, all coiled up, ready to strike, huge water moccasin. My uncle got the hoe. Snake tried its best to fight off the hoe, but the hoe cut its head off. And then something happened. The snake was dead. But for the next 30 minutes, that body of that snake just flailed I mean it went everywhere all over the patio out into the grass it was moving around the proverbial statement is the chicken with his head cut off it was there the snake with his head cut off is going everywhere even later that afternoon we would go and we would take a stick and we would touch that serpent's body and it would move it's dead but it still moved even to the point that the next day my uncle showed us with a couple of sticks that snake's head, opened its mouth, and still those fangs clamped down. A day after it's dead. The same is true. That picture is true even here. Satan is a defeated foe. His head has been crushed, yet he is still allowed for a time. Before he is thrown into the pit that God is creating, the eternal hell, God has created, is creating that and will be there. Satan will be thrown there for all eternity. But for now, as this passage speaks, he is still trying to thwart the plan and purpose of God. 
he couldn't stop the woman from giving birth. And when the child was born, the child was taken up. At the end of his life, he was taken back up to the father. He is alive forevermore. Satan could not keep him in the grave. Yet Satan is a defeated foe. How is he defeated? Look there in verse number 11. One of the, if not the most important verses in all of Revelation is there in verse 11. How is he defeated? And they conquered him. They conquered the serpent. They conquered that dragon. They conquered Satan. How? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even undead. Satan is defeated because of the blood of Christ. Because of the word of their testimonies. Because of the word of our testimonies. I implore you this week. I implore you today. I encourage myself, all of us, to tell someone about Jesus Christ this week. Remember the people in Smyrna? Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are the Jews, but they're not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer, Smyrna. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days, for that period of time, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church is the one who conquers, will not be hurt by the second death. Stand firm. I have stated it a number of times, and I will continue to state it. You and I live in a free nation at this moment. But at the acceleration of our culture, if God allows me to live, if God allows me to live an average lifespan, that's now 30 more years, I believe that I will be persecuted for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, physically persecuted in this nation unless he sends revival. Stand firm. See the defeat of the enemy as you speak the name of Jesus Second, we see in chapter 13, the beast and their mark. Oh, what you've all been waiting for, for this whole time, the mark of the beast. Let me read chapter 13 and let's talk about it for just a moment. And I saw the beast, excuse me, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave the power, gave uh, power in his throne and, get, and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. They worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? The beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty 
and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Let me stop right there. If you take 1260 days in chapter 12, if you take time and times and half a time also in chapter 12, it is um, 42 months, it is three and a half years, it is 1260 days, it is time and times and half a time, that is the time, and there's two sets of them in this great tribulation, and the Antichrist here in chapter 13 is given three and a half years to rule and reign over the earth. Verse 7, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on the earth will worship the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. And it had two horns like a lamb. And it, was, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast. It deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet live. It was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. It also... Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666, the beast and the mark. Two different beasts come on the scene here. Satan is not original in anything that he does. You and I need to understand that. He is not original in anything that he does. He mimics God because he wants to be God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are the Holy Trinity. Satan mimics them and he says, all right, here's the dragon, here's one beast, and here's another beast, the unholy trinity. It is the Antichrist and the false prophet that is spoken of here in Revelation chapter 13. And we see that the dragon, Satan, has given all his authority to the beast, which is the Antichrist. And he also gives authority to his prophet who speaks to the whole world and utters to the whole world, worship the beast. 
worship Satan. One commentator, D.A. Carson, states this, speaking of Revelation chapter 13. With this, the dragon, the beast from the sea, and the beast from the land, they form a kind of evil trinity. Satan claims to be God. The Antichrist is the Christ of Satan, and the beast from the earth performs the function of an unholy spirit. The Antichrist persuades the world to worship the devil. He has a fatal wound, but he lives in a monstrous imitation of the Christ of God. The second beast seeks to persuade the world to worship the Antichrist by the witness in the word and also in deed as the Holy Spirit witnesses to God's Christ and through the mark of the beast itself, a parody of the seal of God, he creates a devilish imitation of the church of Christ. What is the mark of the beast? The mark of the beast is, just as Carson stated, a a parody. It's an image of being sealed by God. He said, all right, if God has a seal on His people, then I must have a seal on my people. Every person that is not saved, that is living in this day, has a number. Its number is the focus, and its worship is the devil. Is it your social security number? Generations past thought that. The dawn of computers, is it that? Is it this barcode? Know this, it is the mark of a man. The number is 666. That is the number for mankind. Verse 18 tells us that. Ultimately, the focus for you and for me, as it was in Revelation chapter 13 in the first century when they saw this, is the focus isn't, all right, what's the number What's the issue? This barcode or that zip code or this social security number, that that draws our attention away from where it should be. There will be hordes, hordes of people on this earth who will follow after the beast and who will follow after his false prophet and who will ultimately follow after the serpent, Satan, and they will have his mark. And you can't live, you can't buy, you can't sell, you can't do anything unless you have it on your wrist or on your forehead. And it will mark you. And all it is, is Satan imitating God. The picture is drawn in Daniel chapter 7, the picture is drawn in Daniel chapter 9, the picture is drawn here in Revelation chapter 13 in Matthew chapter 24 of this terrible beast and multiple beasts that come on the face of the earth. For you and for me, I'm grateful that it doesn't end there. A third vision that John saw gives us just a break and a break that is needed. In Revelation chapter 14, let me read verses 6 down through the end of the chapter. Verses 1 through 5 speak of the 144,000. They speak of that group that is uh, from the Lamb and that definitely has His name written on their foreheads. And so there's this break and 
He saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of passion and of her sexual immorality. And we'll speak of her in next week's sermon. Another angel, a third, verse 9 states, He followed them saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength not diluted, but poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest. Day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Verse 13, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, A white cloud and seated on the cloud like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out from the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another another angel came out from the altar, and the angel who uh, has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Y'all with me? picture of a charge and the warning for the earth. In chapter 14, verses 6 down through the end of the chapter, there is this warning, but there is also an interlude given, and I really believe that it's given for the first century saints who were hearing this, but also could be played out for you and me to to know what is to come. But there was an interlude. Uh, this is the third interlude, um, definitely the second, possibly the third interlude that has been written here in the book of Revelation. The first 
could be seen right after all the letters to the saints or to the churches, those seven. There was this pause and then the prophecy began. Then in the middle of this prophecy between here and really in chapter 8 verse 1, there was silence in heaven for 30 minutes when that seal was broken. Between the seals being broken and the trumpets are blown, there's this interlude. And now with that, this previous interlude, it was for worship and awe. Here the interlude is in between the judgments of God that are coming about. Why? One might ask. It's to give hope to those that are in the middle of it, but it's also to give hope for those that are going through tribulation today. It's also to give hope for those that were hearing it in first century. What was going on as John was writing this to that first century audience? They were being poured out. They were being persecuted. The, the Roman Empire was raging war against Christianity. Nero was throwing them out of the city. He was burning their, their um, brothers or their sisters alive to light his gardens. The, the uh, cities were throwing them out. They were persecuting them. They were throwing them into pits. They were burning them. They were putting them in the, the uh, um, Olympic Games to be eaten. All because of who they were, because of who they bowed down to, that is Christ. It was to give them hope to those that were in persecution, the first century and even today, to give us hope and endurance for the battle that is raging all around us. This vision in chapter 14 is given so that we might not waver in the midst of our temporary trial, struggle, and tribulation. Paul wrote about it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 down through chapter 5, verse 9. He states this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see that? This light momentary affliction, which he was beaten, he was thrown, he was stoned, he was uh, thrown into jail, thought dead. This light momentary affliction. And over here, this eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look now to the things that are seen, but not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're, they're temporary. But the things that are unseen, they are eternal. For we know that if this tent, this body that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan. In this body we're groaning. We're longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, in this body, we're groaning, we're being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. 
So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. In Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 down through the end of the chapter, we see a warning. We see a warning that judgment is coming. And we also see a picture of two harvests. The first harvest, a number of people look at that and say, it is Christ who is harvesting His saints. In the middle of this tribulation period, in the middle of this cycle that we are looking at this morning, Christ comes and He harvests the saints. He takes them home, but at the same time, or right after that, there is this other harvest. If that is the look, if that is the the take from this passage in verses 17 down through verse 19 and 20, there is this second angel who is coming and harvesting, and that group of people is taken outside the city of Jerusalem. They are put into the wine press, and they are trampled on, and the blood of that the grapes of that, the wine of that, is uh, 1,600 stadia long and it's up to the bridle of the horses. 100 plus miles, almost 200 miles, 185 miles. Blood is as high as the bridle on a horse. When is this taking place? Well, we have looked. A number of times, and we have said this isn't a chronological, this is a cycle. There's a circle, a circle, a cycle, a cycle through this seven years' time. Now, some look at this and say, all right, this is the beginning of one of these cycles. So is he going back to um, the beginning here? And we all would love for that to be the case. I want that to be the case. I don't want to go through any of the tribulation. And I want Jesus to come and I want Him to reap and put His sickle in and to reap His body and take us home before all of this, any of this takes place. Or is this at the end of a cycle? And at the end of that seven years, He puts in that sickle and He takes His body home. Or as what it looks like in the middle of a cycle, in the middle of those seven years of great tribulation, he puts in that sickle and takes us home before the bowls of wrath in 16 and 17 and 18 are spilled. Anybody want to take a gander? We hope that it's at the beginning. To me, it looks as if it's at the middle. We pray definitely that it's not at the end. For 16 and 17 and 18 is going to get even worse than a quarter and a third of the earth being killed. But in the midst of this judgment, in the midst of this second sickle being placed in and the harvest being taken of those tares or the chaff so to speak we come against Revelation chapter 15 and I want to read the first four verses and I'll close I saw another sign in heaven great and amazing seven angels with seven uh, plagues which are the last for with them the wrath of God is finished 
and I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear the Lord and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. The end result, this last vision that is beginning for John. He sees the seven plagues and those will be the seven bowls of wrath that we'll look at in the next couple of weeks. But as he sees those final plagues, those bowls of wrath, he looks and he sees worship. Here we see what is to come. We, we see the throne room one more time and with this glimpse we see a worship service like never before. We see the overcomers, those who have, uh, as one commentator speaks, they are the ones who are the overcomers to whom the seven letters hold out promise of eating of the tree of life in chapter 2 verse 7, protection from the second death in 2.11, the hidden manna in chapter 2 verse 17, authority over the nations in 2.26, who have the white garments on, the honor of becoming a pillar in the temple of God in chapter 3, and the privilege of sitting with Christ on the throne. Little wonder why they break out in song. The song is sung in heaven because of the worth of the Lamb and of the Father. If you look at that song, chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, over 80% of it is direct quote from Old Testament passages. Whether it's in um, Deuteronomy or Exodus or Jeremiah or Joel, 80 something, 84% of those words, of those phrases are direct quotes from the Old Testament. A song is sung in heaven because of the worth of the Lamb. This morning we are going to have an opportunity to worship. The invitation is that, that you and I would worship, that we would worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords because He is worthy to be worshipped. I've stated it before in this series, bad has to be bad for good to be good. When this comes about on the earth, it's going to be bad. But as Paul has stated, it's light momentary affliction versus the eternal weight of glory. Heavenly Father, more questions have probably been raised than answers given today. Questions of when your return will be. Questions of who will be here during those seven years. Questions of what is going to happen with the mark of the beast. What is that number? What, is, what are the events that are going to take place? But Father, I pray that our attention, my attention, personally, our attention as 
a collective body. Father, I pray that it would be a view on your throne. Overseeing. Overseeing and reigning. During this time of tribulation, yes, you have given the adversary, your adversary, an opportunity to go and to to wreak havoc and chaos. But Father, it is still under your authority. Father, there is not chaos in heaven. There never has been, nor will there ever be. For you are sovereign and you reign. Father, is that your name? Your son will come. You will state his name and he will come and he will get us. Your church, your sons, your daughters, and we will be caught up. Father, would you draw us? Might we focus in on that name, your name? As we sing of your great name, Father, I pray that not only we would sing with our lips, but Father, our minds, our whole bodies, and we would leave in just a few moments, we would leave challenged, encouraged, implored to tell of this great name. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and would you sing? If you need to come forward and uh, pray with me, I'll be more than happy to pray with you, but the invitation this morning is for you and for me to worship this King.